Welcome everyone. This is the I'm Speaking Podcast, hosted by Mercy Hernandez and Priya Namard. Our goal is to uplift voices everywhere by empowering women and youth and by building a better global community. The I'm Speaking Podcast is inspired by the Edge Charitable Foundation. All views and opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the hosts and do not reflect that of the benefactors or sponsors. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is the I'm Speaking Podcast. I'm Priya. And I'm Mercy. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome. And today's topic is empowering BIPOC communities. And we have a special guest with us, Jani Rad. Yay. <laughs> oh, welcome. <laughs> so excited to have you with us, Jani. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So today's topic, we're really going to be fleshing out what it means to empower BIPOC communities. So for all of you who haven't listened to that episode, what does BIPOC mean? It means Black Indigenous People of Color. And so it's Black Indigenous People of Color communities that we're going to be talking about and the tools that we could use to empower those communities. And today, Jani is going to be talking about the tools to translate professional skills and empower oppressed and marginalized people. Wow, that's like a mouthful. So powerful. <laughs> so powerful. Yep, yep. So let me read a little bit about Jani. Jani Rad is a director of analytics in hospital executive operations by day and an entrepreneur by night. She has been a facilitator, trainer, speaker since 2009. In August 2020, she launched a podcast called What's On Your Mind with Jenny Rad that provides a platform for guests to share their stories. And I've been fortunately been able to be on her podcast and hopefully Mercy will be on her podcast soon. 100%. <laughs> but I love her podcast. Yeah, it's in the plan. Yes, that's the plan. Must give it a listen, look it up after this. But Jenny has also, what she didn't put in here is that she's also a TEDx speaker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's just amazing. <laughs> there's so many different topics. Everything that matters. Everything matters. And there's so many different topics that she talks about. And I'm totally going to embarrass you right now, Jenny, and I'm just read off a couple of them. Ready for this? Leadership skills development, consensus building, community engagement and empowering, empowerment, public speaking and presenting, sexual health, healthy relationships, safer sex, the isms, diversity, inclusion, power, privilege, microaggressions, media literacy, anti-racism, alcohol abuse. There's so many topics that you are an expert on. And she is one of my favorite, favorite Insta friends. We have never met in person and I love her. She's just amazing. And welcome, Jenny. Thank you. That was such a nice introduction. (laughs) (laughs) So why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself other than all the stuff I just shared? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I'll keep I'll keep this brief. I have the ability to talk, talk, talk as well. But um, <laughs> the long story short is that um, I've kind of gained this weird, very vast uh, portfolio just because ever since I was a kid, I've just been interested in so many things. And it's always just been this very pure, genuine interest of honestly just wanting to learn more about the world and more about the people that are around us. And I love people and I love connection. And so all of that just kind of snowballed as I grew older and I would just 
a hundred percent full body, take a full dive in to, to the, to the pool of whatever it was that I was studying. And, um, I, especially in college was where I really found that intersection of theater, social justice, and education. And, and so that's when I really just started to really learn about all of these different topics that impact our everyday lives. And that's just has stayed with me to this day. So, um, during the day I, I work in healthcare and then by night, uh, I still call myself, you know, I still work in the field of, of health and wellness, but I just work on it from a non-hospital perspective. I work on it through education and empowerment and communication and all of that, which we'll talk more about in this episode. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yep. Really and she's, nice. e- she's even spoken at my daughter's school about anti-racism. And if you go onto her website under the media page is my daughter's face, like front and center. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm totally going to show her this afterwards because I was on there looking and I was like, oh my God, that's Ava. <laughs> wow, that's super cool. Yeah, it, it's the recording from when she spoke at the school for our anti-racism nice. day in, um, in January. Um, okay. And she, it was just amazing. The kids got so much out of it. Um, but yes, yeah, so let's, let's dive right in. Yeah, not to get too off track, but let's dive right in. So we're talking about tools to empower BIPOC community. So what does it mean to empower a BIPOC community? Yeah, so that's a great question. So I think the first delineation that I like to make is a difference between educate and empower. And so one of the big delineations that I do is to make sure that when I am speaking, especially to BIPOC communities, I don't ever want it to come at it from the perspective that I'm educating, because even though, yes, I am a person of color, I only know my experience and I cannot educate somebody else on their experience. So what I do is I don't educate BIPOC communities about their experiences. I empower them with tools, whether it's resources or community communication tools to help them and to empower them to do whatever it is that they want to do. I don't want to come in there as the expert and say, this is what you have to do. I just want to offer information and tools, uh, especially around communication, things that maybe can, can enhance existing knowledge. Um, but it's really about helping other people share their story, the story that they already have. I'm not there to rewrite someone's story or to tell them, hey, this is what your story needs to be. Um, so that's definitely the, the first delineation that I really like to make and make sure that I'm not coming in as an educator. <laughs> so I, 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 I kind of love that because it almost sounds like anti-diversity training, not yeah. anti-diversity, <laughs> but like, so when you think about a diversity training and, dive, and, you're, and you're doing it, I've been to a couple of those myself and people are just t- talking to you. They're not talking right. with you. So it sounds like what you do is you talk with your, the group of people that you're training or you're speaking about the topic with. So this way you're educating each other together and you're learning together. Absolutely, yeah, because you know, which is actually a beautiful transition. Oh, Mm -hmm. perfect. (laughs) I was saying it's a a beautiful transition. (laughs) (laughs) I know we're we're jumping because everybody's freezing here and there. I was saying that what you're talking about is a beautiful transition into one of your other strengths, which I don't think we touched on, which is being a storyteller. Mm. And so in your storytelling um, expertise, it's a beautiful way of empowering others and having them share their stories. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I like to call myself a professional storyteller, but empowers Mm -hmm. others to tell their own stories too. That's beautiful. (laughs) You were saying something before when we were like back and forth, what were you saying? I don't even remember. (laughs) (laughs) 
that's all right. All right. So um, I think it was, we were going back about, um, in, she doesn't talk to them. She talks with them. Mm-hmm. Oh, I yes. Yeah, we I was at. saying that a lot of times when I do trainings, um, if I'm not going at it from a caucus perspective, which I'm sure we'll talk more about, but it, when I am doing a training where there are people of all races in one group, and I, I, what I want people to do is learn from each other, exactly what you were saying, Priya. I don't want to come in there with all of the this content because the content already exists in the room. Mm-hmm. I'm just there to facilitate discussions so that people can share. And then what I might do is add just a couple like, little little bows at the end of of people's kind of sharing circles so that way I can I can just emphasize to say okay what is the learning point that we got out of this I might add just a couple like key terms and vocabulary to what's already being said in the room but uh, I'm I'm there to facilitate the content that already exists within the group now do you do you usually bring your own content to the discussion do you start with that do you start with your own background and your own story That's a great question. I, what I tend to do is act as a participant in my own workshops. So I do the activities alongside everybody in the group. So that way it truly is groupthink. And that way I'm not seen as the expert educator. Um, So one thing I actually like about Zoom is that literally everyone is just an equal box, including myself. And I try to mimic that same thing in in in-person trainings too, where I'm sitting in the circle along with everyone else. I don't stand in front of the room. I want it to be seen that I am an equal participant, even though I am a trainer and an educator, I am a lifelong learner and I am going to be learning from this group of people, just like all of you. And I will also probably have learning outcomes and takeaway points from learning from people in the room too. That's a beautiful way of looking at it. How everybody's so equal on a Zoom and what a beautiful way of integrating and being heard because you become one of them. So you're part of that fabric. Who do you feel you make the biggest impact on? Is it on the younger generation? Is it uh, people that are basically your age group or older people? Where do you feel you make an impact? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I, I think it truly does vary um, because Sometimes, you know, I'll have a mix of ages in a group, but sometimes I will have everybody around the same age range. So it's kind of hard for me to to say that, you know, a specific age group resonates with the content more or that I feel like I have a bigger impact. What I can say is that because I am, you know, closer in age to, you know, maybe folks who are are in high school or college. um, And, you know, I can kind of say, you know, been there, done that, that I think Mm -hmm. I, because I can share from that personal experience that um, I'm hoping my stories do, do really resonate and, and impact younger folks. But I mean, I'll be the first to admit that I learn a lot too from uh, younger kids. Like I I was not where, you know, Priya talked about that I spoke at her daughter's school. I was, I'm still speechless. (laughs) I was so impressed by, you know, where they were at, the language that they were already using, the perspectives that they had, how open-minded they were, but yet challenging too. And I was not like that when I was their age. So I, I, I'd like to say that, you know, I can, I can impact uh, kids at a younger age, but I think they impact me. uh, You know, I think it's, it's a two-way street there. Yeah. I agree with you in that aspect. Absolutely. the mother and a completely different point of view 
but it's incredible awesome other how much we learn from our children um, and how we're we're motivated and empowered and sometimes schooled by our own children <laughs> yep, because yep. every generation brings its its power and its knowledge and you know I think the ultimate goal of humankind is for each generation to be better than the last and so that's good that you see improvement mm-hmm. to what's happening in school versus when you were in school yeah, yeah. that's great thank you and, and I really do think Gen Zers have a very unique view of the world that's not like ours at all. Like, then it's not like millennials. <clears throat> it's not like Gen Xers. And it's definitely not like baby boomers. They have a very unique view on the world. And I, I love it's it. Unapologetic. Yeah. Very very unapologetic. And very direct, very plain. Mm-hmm. And um, they, they're very confident also. That's what yeah. I find with what, whatever knowledge they hold, whatever perspective they hold, they're very confident in how they feel. Yeah. Yes, yes they are. And that's our future. So that's important. Yep. So let's talk about the tools that we mentioned. So <laughs> for everybody listening, Johnny is a, a theater nerd. Can I say the word nerd? <laughs> <laughs> she got some acting chops um, growing up. And um, she, she had mentioned to me that this is, this is one of the tools uh, that she uses to empower BIPOC communities. So can you talk more about that, Jenny? Yeah, yeah. I'll talk specifically about the the theater tool. And then if we have time, I'd also love to talk about another tool too that I use a lot um, in in these types of trainings or or workshops. So um, theater, it's so funny because I think in my introduction, I mentioned that when I was in college was where I was really kind of introduced to this idea of this cross-section between theater and social justice and education, um, which is mind-boggling that it took me 17 years to find that connection because if you think about it, that is the origin of theater. Theater exists because it's a method of storytelling. Theater came from communities who were oppressed as a way to tell their stories. Um, And so now there's just kind of been this rediscovery almost of how to um, kind of bring back those same methods of communication that maybe over time have either become appropriated or lost in some way. So it's almost just kind of re empowering communities with these tools that, you know, they almost came from these communities. And now it's just kind of like reminding everybody that, that these tools exist and and they've come from, from this exact purpose of feeling like your voice got taken away and maybe you're not able to speak or you can't um, share your story in, in a specific way. So how can you be creative in a way to do it? So I use a lot of practices um, that have come out of Brazil. It's a practice called Theater of the Oppressed. And um, it comes from Augusto Boal. Um, he's a practitioner out of Brazil that essentially uses uh, different kind of techniques in terms of how to use your body and how to use other people's bodies to look at power dynamics. That's kind of in a nutshell of what uh, what theater of the oppressed is. Um, so he does a lot of that. I mean, there's there's books and books and books of this, and, it, and it's almost as, it's almost um, like games. They, people that that play these games almost don't feel like they're in a workshop because it's just fun. It's it's kind of reminds you of like what we used to do when we were little, and and people would kind of play games like make believe. That's almost what you're doing, but as an adult. And through these practices, you know, for example, there might be a scene playing out between, let's say, um, 
a teacher and a student, for example. Well, when you play out the scene in front of you, you kind of ask these questions and you say, okay, in this scene, who's holding the power? Why do you know that they're holding the power? What does, what look, what does the communication look like? Let's say they, they weren't able to speak. Could we still see who was holding the power? And then there are these simple tools that we can do where we literally switch the people and say, how could this conversation now turn out if the power dynamics were switched? Um, we often see this uh, type of tool being used when, when we do education around gender roles, right? We might play out a scene and everybody has the same type of dialogue. And let's say that you have one person that's, uh, uh, you know, expressing as male, one person that is expressing as female, and they have a certain set of dialogue, maybe it's around uh, body image or expectations of, of societal roles. Then what you do is you can keep the dialogue the same, but literally just switch the actors, and then they play, it, the, the scene plays out. Now, normally what tends to happen is that you'll hear some giggles and stuff from the audience because we're not used to seeing people that look a certain way, speak a certain way. And then we pause and we turn to the audience and say, that evoked a reaction. Why is that? Why is it? Well, why is it what we saw was so funny? Let's talk about that. And so mm -hmm. it's a way to really just kind of heighten the conversation. Again, it's just a tool. It's not there, you know, everybody, you know, in their heart has experienced some type of, of, of experience around gender roles or power dynamics. So everyone has a story within them, but the theater tools just offer a way to say, okay, let's point it out now. Let's point out what is so obvious around us that maybe during the day to day, we don't see it. But if we can shine a light on it, that now opens a space for us to talk about it and have a conversation. So I love theater of the oppressed. It's fantastic. Everyone should go look it up. And there's also another practitioner called Michael Rode. Um, and he also does a series of games. And I believe the book is called, I'm totally going to butcher this, but it's like, uh, it's about like conflict and dialogue, theater games around conflict and dialogue, something like that. Michael Rode, last name is R-O-H-D. He's a genius uh, and similar kind of uh, realm of theater of the oppressed in a nutshell. Don't talk too much, Hal. No, no, no. No, my God. So that that is amazing. Like, how did you find out about theater of the oppressed? How did that come about? Yes, I um, I have to give a huge shout out here to my mentor, Amy Bertain. She was my theater coach, essentially, all through college. And she uh, actually went to Brazil and trained with Augusto Boal. And so had brought this back to a bunch of college students that we were just like, we like theater, we like activism. Now what? And she basically said, you know, there is this amazing existing practice that already exists. And um, it's so fascinating looking at how Theater of the Oppressed has been used over the years. I mean, it's been used for um, indigenous people kind of telling their story. It's been used in the, in the world of environmental justice for communities to say like, hey, we're hurting and no one can see why, you know, pipelines and water pollution are impacting us. It's been yes. used in Texas. Um, there's actually research papers now. I mean, you know, pe you, people have a different view of how academics kind of plays a role with with indigenous stories and and things like that but um the the truth the basically at, in at the end of the day is that people who maybe are geared more towards like i want to see if this actually works out i want to see the evidence of this well that exists for you so if you want to actually see the quote evidence of these practices working there are some research papers that have come out of texas where they've used theater of the oppressed with communities that are dealing with environmental justices environmental justice issues in el paso um and you can see the outcomes of the communities not only getting the the justice that they want but it's led to policy changes it's led to um, people in their community rising to leadership positions because now they just feel more empowered to tell their stories i mean it's it's fantastic wow 
I love that. I wow. love that. And I loved most of all when you said uh, theater combined with activism and everything that can come from it. And that goes back to the core that we were just talking about, the storytelling power and how, how you're using that tool so beautifully. So thank you. Now you, uh, that I, I'm like blown away by that whole, <laughs> that whole concept. I so, I mean, I, I do improv right now. Is this like improv or, or is it literally yes. like you're, you're writing a script and you're just playing out the characters and the concepts? Like how is it staged? Yeah, that's such a great question. So it's kind of a yes and, which is, I'm saying yes and, which comes yeah. from, which yeah. comes from comedy improv, improv um, yeah. but it's a little bit of both. Um, there are some situations where I think what Theater of the Oppressed does too, is that it takes the scary, like, I have to be an actor mm -hmm. out of theater. Like mm -hmm. anybody can do it because yeah. the whole idea when, when you think of improv is that you're just pulling things from your own experience, right? So maybe even if you're trying to do a comedic scene, like you are thinking, thinking back to like, okay, well, like, what, what do I think is funny? What are funny things that have happened to me in my life? What are funny mm -hmm. things that I've seen? And you kind of pull that into a scene. So the same thing kind of happens with theater of the oppressed. It, it essentially is improv without calling it improv. And it, it is script writing, but you know, you don't have to be a playwright. You can just be somebody that is writing a story of something that happened to you. Um, so it just kind of takes the scary academic -y trained theater language and returns it back to the fact that everybody is an actor everybody is an actor facilitator um it's you're just a person and you're telling your story in a, in a different way now is this i have another question so is this like hamilton like okay so i could i it, that's a great example yeah is this like hamilton a great example. or a jordan peele movie where he flips, <laughs> it up, flips concepts on its head and presents it from uh, a person of color's point of view. How would you? How would you sort of coin it? Yeah, um, that's a really great. Uh, that's really great. I never really thought of it that way, but um, yeah, I mean, again, like I think these practices have been used for so long um, that I don't know that I would say that Hamilton is theater of the uh, oppressed inspired, but maybe it is. I mean, I don't, I don't know what Lin-Manuel, uh, you know, got his, his inspiration in terms of flipping that power dynamics, but um, mm -hmm. essentially, you know, that, that is what it is. It's telling a story from a perspective where you've flipped who has the power. And then that's why when we watch it, we're like, maybe we see things a little bit differently or we hear things differently. Um, and especially like casting roles that have been, you know, white, Mm -hmm. casting them as people of color again like that in our mind Bridgerton. yeah that in yes. our mind we look at it that. and we're like oh that's weird and then we need to check ourselves and be like wait why is this why weird? yeah <laughs> why is it weird yeah. and I, I want to to add to that so with Hamilton I feel that the inspiration came um with the immigrants right and it, the way that we were traditionally taught it just, you you assume by the way that the books are written and the way you're taught in school that these were all white individuals, whereas they truly were most likely not. And if they were, then look at the perspective of the ones truly being impacted. So when we're talking about Hamilton, maybe he did never heard of theater of the oppressed, but it sounds a lot like the same concept because he's just flipping the narrative on its head and telling it from a person of color's perspective. Now, you you mentioned that there was another tool 
right? That we can use. Yes. And this one, I actually hadn't even really mentioned it to you in, in our email, but uh, this, it's funny. This is act, what I'm about to talk to you about is what actually my degree is in, which is in mapping. So not a lot of people actually know this about me. <laughs> Wait, what? You're yeah. what? mapping? Mapping. Yeah. Oh, so oh my God, you know, I don't even, I think that's hella cool. That's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Well, wait till I tell you even more things about it. So okay. the the fun thing about me is that I actually, my my degree is, I have two masters in public health and city planning. And mm -hmm. people always ask me like, that's kind of weird. Like, what do you do with a city planning degree? You're not a planner. And I'm like, no, I don't plan cities, but the education that I received from that degree completely works in parallel with public health. Because what I did was when I applied to grad school, I only applied to programs where I could do those degrees jointly because I truly believe that where you live impacts how you live. And, it, and not because of the way necessarily that um, I should, I should, let me clarify, it's not an inherent characteristic of the of the place that you live that impacts, but it is all of the policies and the infrastructure and everything that exists that has created a neighborhood to be the way that it is that then impacts a person. So essentially environmental injustice and environmental racism. And an amazing tool that I learned how to do when I was in grad school that I started to actually do this service working for the North Carolina Environmental Justice Network was I would help them build maps to actually overlay, for example, um, where a demographic uh, of people live. So let's say that I wanted to look at North Carolina. I don't know if people on here know really um, environmental justice, but that movement stemmed out of North Carolina because there are a bunch of hog farms and these farms uh, were basically put into neighborhoods of color. So oh. these people in these communities were having completely adverse reactions from the pollution, uh, you know, from air quality to water quality and their their health outcomes were worse than white people who were living further away. So of course, every the, the kind of go-to answers that people might hear when they first hear that sentence is, okay, well, they chose to live there. You know, they probably made their place dirty. Oh, well, you know, black people, indigenous people, Latina people, Latinx people, they're just, you know, more prone to getting sick. Well, what happened was that these maps and inherently what they do is you can show the overlay of demographics to where the hog farms are actually located. So if you put kind of, I'm going to use some like technical language, but these point point data points, which is just a location of a dot next to these demographics to show the concentration of these neighborhoods and show them over time, you can actually see that the patterns of injustice are literally because where these hog farms are placed and they are very purposeful of where yeah. they are placed. And you can see these same patterns happen around the world. Like it's not even just in the United States, it is around the world. Um, and there's all types of things that mapping can show. I did a similar project in North Carolina, again, around um, 
voting rights. And there was actually a lawsuit that was happening against the North Carolina um, government because of gerrymandering. Um, and so what we were able to show is again, using data and using the points to overlay where these borders are um, compared to where minority neighborhoods live, we were able to prove that they were gerrymandering in order to mess with the results of the election based on voting from people of color. And we were able to show this using maps. So essentially, that's kind of where I come in as like, okay, well, I am an expert of this tool. I will create this tool and then hand it back to the community with maybe some contextual language of, okay, what you're able to show. Now take this and go. Like this is literally that analytical proof that you need to supplement your story and to supplement your life experience. Take this to court and go. And they did. And they won the court case. <laughs> wow. That's fantastic. Now this is, is excellent. This is so kismet because, because today and yesterday and today are the anniversary uh, anniversaries anniversary right. days of the Tulsa massacre. Now Biden uh, is so this obviously everybody listening this podcast is pre recorded. <laughs> Biden <laughs> is uh, flying down to Tulsa today to announce a new policy that he's putting out to. Um, Equalize, I don't know all the details, but it's to equalize the housing prices of BIPOC communities and white communities. So he's, he, he's, he's putting out legislation to, to, to make it an even, uh, even ground for people looking to purchase and sell, and, and, and sell their homes, uh, which is a huge, huge deal. And we're talking about gerrymandering and redlining and all those things and mapping exactly what you're talking about yeah. is what he's going to be addressing today. Maps can be used for so many purposes. And I think, you know, one of the best things that I got out of my like educational academic experience was, you know, of course, I think when people think of city planning, they think of, you know, maps for, okay, where's your business district going to be? Like where, what's going to be zoned for a neighborhood? What's going to be zoned for a mixed use district? But there's so much more that goes into that. Yeah. Um, city planning historically has been a very racist field. Um, and it was, you know, a field that perpetuated a lot of harm and caused a lot of harm to people of color. And I think just like with a lot of fields, you know, public health, I'll be the first to admit that public health has the most racist background out of any academic yeah. field probably out there, maybe mm -hmm. tied with medicine, but city planning's right there with them. And so now I think what the field is really trying to do is to say, how can we use these tools for good? How can we be allies to the people that we've taken away their voices and their stories and their rights? And now how can we use those same tools and now empower BIPOC communities, which is exactly what we're talking about. How can a regular everyday people use these tools? So we're really talking about really big concepts and big terms and they go, that really address uh, policy, right? And how government works and how uh, uh, social norms work. Like how can, how can the normal everyday person use these tools to their advantage to help their fellow people of color or to help a, a community? Excellent question. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So um, I'll talk about the theater first, since that's what we talked about. And then I'll talk about um, the mapping in case anyone's curious out there of how you can get involved. Um, definitely don't 
I mean, this is going to sound bad to say we don't have to like go get a master's degree to just learn, you know, <laughs> basic tools. But, you know, for theater, like I mentioned, everybody is an actor, you know, and one of the things that you can do is um, check out check out these books. Um, there's tons of videos. There's actually videos on YouTube that you can still find. Agosa Bual has has since passed, but there's tons of videos of of him online and you can see the work that he's doing. Um, I think the first step is just watch it in progress. It is so amazing to see like a flip go off because if you think about it, it's so powerful when you have a group of people who at that moment when they start maybe this workshop, they feel completely worthless. I mean, their voice has been stripped away from them. They literally feel the most disempowered that they maybe have ever felt. And you're slowly returning them, you know, almost that the tools and the confidence, the ability to say, you know, there's a way you can tell your story. And to kind of watch that progression and that journey is amazing to see. And I mean, to me, that's all like, yes, the academic papers are nice, but like, that's the evidence that I needed to see was you can just watch this happen. Um, and then I would say, you know, you know, th there's obviously the books, but just Google theater of the oppressed, all of these, all of these games, you know, I mentioned before that they're, they're games, you know, you can, you can play them. Um, you know, have a have a dinner party and instead of playing a board game or an improv game, like pull out some TO games <laughs> and just start with something interesting. You know, it doesn't, you don't have to scare people and say, okay, we're going to try some theater of the oppressed, but you know, just play some, <laughs> play some fun. That games. is kind of a cool name for a board game, theater of the oppressed. <laughs> Because you yeah. think about all the other crazy names for the adult games. <laughs> I know, yeah. But again, this is like, if you're trying to meet people where they're at, you know, yeah. type thing, then this is definitely like a, hey, you know, I'm just going to host a party and we're just going to play some games. And you'll just see for yourself because, you know, every, it, it doesn't take a, a lot to facilitate these games. The more you do it, you'll see that it, you're really just kind of facilitating a game like you're, you're walking people through a fun make-believe activity like think of it like that and the more that you practice like sooner than later you're going to maybe be able to facilitate something like this and and then I say don't be afraid to bring small versions of this to your workplace you know I just did a um a professional development workshop uh, with my team at my hospital. And, uh, you know, I called them improv games, but I took them from my conflict and dialogue book from Michael Road. Um, so, you know, it, there's small ways to, to bring this to your everyday life. And again, if you don't have the ability to, you know, go check out a book or, or something like that, it, this this information is is out there. Just, you just got to look for the, the right keywords. So I would look for, you know, theater of the oppressed, uh, theater for dialogue, theater for conflict, and you'll, you'll find a bunch of stuff, but, but start small and you, and you'll yeah. slowly build, um, in terms of the mapping, there's actually a really great, um, some resources online that are free for their basic version and, and open source. So social explorer is actually one of my favorites that I played around with a lot in grad school and actually lets you overlay information anywhere. in I think the U S it's concentrated to the U S but you can layer information like 
demographic information, like racial information, gender, anything that's basically has been collected on a census. So the US census, the, the, the centennial census, the American community survey census, like any type of survey that's been um, administrated by the government, the data is on there. Again, there is like a basic version and, and a paid version, but if you just wanna dabble around and just see for yourself, let's say that you're curious and you wanna know, hey, like how many people voted in this election? and how many of them came from people of color and where were those communities located? You can make the map. Um, you can make it on these things. Um, if you're interested in just learning about different types of data sources of what's out there, um, datausa.io is another completely free one. And the data is actually downloadable. You can download uh, data in terms of, I think, spreadsheets, same with Social Explorer also. Um, but you can also download really cool um images. And I mean, I've used them in, you know, PowerPoints and stuff like that. And they already come cited with what the, uh, what the source is. So, you know, that, um, it's all, it's all, uh, backed. <laughs> um, and other than that, I think just, you know, keep, keep your eyes open there now that, you know, if, if this might be the first time that you're hearing about environmental justice and mapping mm -hmm. and theater, you know, just keep your eyes open. The, the internet is a, is a dangerous place, but it can also be a beautiful place if you know what you're looking for. And there have been a ton of people that have done the work for you. Um, and it's now of just, you know, you knowing it's out there and seeking it out for yourself. You don't necessarily have to recreate something um, that's been created, but it's out there and just, you know, go, go educate yourself and, and it's there and, you know, it's never too late to start. And I want to go back to um, <clears throat> your theater of the oppressed. Um, I think that aside from it, it sounding so fun and educational, it could truly be so inspiring. Um, and I think inspiration is something that can always motivate you to take action. Uh, and a lot of what you're saying has this power. So I just wanted to bring that up. Yes. Yeah, it can be really inspiring for almost every single person in the room, whether you're um, an actor, whether you're a spect actor, that's like a term mm -hmm. that they use where you're both like a spectator and an actor, because you're not only that kind of goes back to how I do my workshops, right? I, I'm a spectator because yes, I'm watching it, but I also put myself in it too. So I'm both an actor and a spectator. I'm a spect actor. Um, okay. And so it, again, just every single person has a voice. You're learning from each other. You're inspiring each other. I leave inspired. They leave inspired. It's a win-win from everyone. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And I love it. All of it. All of it. And how it all interacts with each other is very powerful. Love it. So before we even close our podcast episode today, because this is just amazing, I'm blown away um, by all the information that you provided today. I want to hear more about your podcast too. Yeah. As, you know, as women, we got to lift each other up. So let's talk Absolutely. a little bit about what's on your mind. Are these, what kind of topics do you talk about in your podcast? Do you talk about topics like this or just any random thing? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the Seinfeld of podcasts. <laughs> it's a show about everything and maybe a little bit about nothing. But no, to be to be real, I mean, I, since I am the host, I obviously come at it with the lens of if we can find a way to bring the conversation to something to do with activism or mental health, whether it's empowering yourself uh, or empowering others, um, maybe it's just self-exploration, maybe it's 
self-love, maybe it's self-confidence. Um, we always find a way to take uh, the conversation and bring it, bring it back to that. Um, but essentially, I started the podcast because I wanted to have a platform to, for people to share their stories. And COVID, um, you know, kind of took my ability to be in front of people and, you know, use some of these in-person interactive techniques to storytell. And so I kind of had to think, well, what's another way to do it? I, I have a theater background. I've always been interested in voice work. So I kind of thought, well, let's make a podcast out of it. And so um, the idea is that it's completely unscripted, mostly unplanned. There's been a couple times where um, someone might email me a couple times back and forth and say, you know, I think I kind of want to talk about this topic, but um, there's no talking points. There's no structured interview. I basically ask what's on your mind and whatever topic that my my guest wants to talk about, I am totally open to it. Um, it may be something that I know absolutely nothing about. And those are sometimes my favorite podcasts because then I'm, I'm sitting there and just listening and learning and taking it in. And, or maybe it's something that I do know a little bit of something about and my guests and I can just, you know, chat through it and nerd out and, and, and just talk to each <laughs> other about, about things. And hopefully my, my audience will learn something a little bit out of it too. Um, so th those are my Tuesday episodes and Monday, I mentioned mental health, um, personally and professionally, it's something that I'm very passionate about. And so, um, the Tuesday episodes can sometimes relate to mental health, but what I've done with my Monday episodes is the topic and the platform is purely for someone to share their story around survival struggle, anything in between, anything related to mental health. And Mercy, um, that's what that's what I had referred you to to do the mental health. Yes, yes. Absolutely. So essentially, the way that one works is, you know, the, my guest. Um, you know, I kind of ask them what would they would prefer, but mo more often than not, they get kind of 15 to 20 minutes of uninterrupted time where they just literally, I give them my platform to share their story. And then if they're comfortable with it, maybe towards the end, we can kind of chit chat through their experience, or I can kind of share, you know, how it resonated with me or things that maybe I have in common and just to kind of form a connection and really just to show people, you know, you're not alone. There's someone out there that has this experience. Maybe you relate to it or maybe you don't, but if anything, we're just opening people's eyes to the fact that everyone out there has a story. Um, people are more than what we seem on the outside. And hopefully through those conversations, we can end the stigma a little bit. So it's called what's on your mind. And those episodes are every two weeks on Mondays. And then my Tuesday episodes are every week though. I did take an off week for Memorial day because That's fine. I, I needed Good a break. For you. <laughs> Mental health. That's right. Good for you. <laughs> we all need breaks. We were just talking about that. Priya and I were just talking about In honor of my mental health yeah. Monday, I took a mental health break. <laughs> there nice. you go. Good for you. Nice. I love it. I love it. And I look forward to being on your Thank podcast. Thank you. I look forward to having about, you. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's uh, on all podcast platforms. I won't list them all out, but wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, you can find what's on your mind. Absolutely. And, and if our audience, our listeners want to get in touch with you, how can they reach out to you? Hello at jannyrad.com. And you can also contact me through my website, which is jannyrad.com. And there's actually a new look that's coming to the website, Ooh. hopefully in a couple weeks, but uh, it'll still stay the same jannyrad.com. And the email is hello at jannyrad.com. And of course, on, on social media, you're jannyrad. 
Yes, that, that I forgot too. about social media. <laughs> uh, Jannyrad.me on Instagram and Facebook. And I suppose I have a Twitter, but I'm still figuring out the tweeting. Uh, but it's Jannyrad underscore me on Twitter. And of course, you can Google her TEDx talk on, yeah. on uh, YouTube if you'd like to check it out. So thank you so much, Jenny Rad, for being our guest today. This was just an amazing topic. So much information. And uh, make sure if you're listening, you check out the areas in which she referred you to, the websites and the, and the topics. Research it for yourself, because it's important to do that. Um, so make sure you like, share, follow, subscribe, and what else, Mercy? And please make sure that you learn a little bit about our nonprofit, The Edge Helps which has uh, been empowering and helping children for the last 14 years. So we're all about helping children and empowering women. Follow us, please, at The Edge Helps on all social media platforms and go to our website, which is theedgehelps.com. Thank you for listening. This is the I'm Speaking Podcast with Mercy. And Priya, have a great week, everybody. And thank you, Yanni. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye.